seated. Thank you so much to the worship team this morning. Uh, it's beautiful. Oh, I have two stands. You guys, I'm so important. I have two stands up here. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that important. I'm sorry for saying that. Uh, my name is Johnny. I already said that part too. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, it's not always, we don't always make people come forward and write down their deepest heart secrets and then drop them off. So I hope that wasn't too weird for you. But we are glad that you're visiting with us and we're glad that you're here. And I am so excited uh, to be part of another kickoff uh, to a school year. So uh, all of our student ministry and children's ministry gets started this week and, and then next week. And uh, it's just really exciting stuff to be a part of around, around the church. Um, so when I was in seventh grade, my family moved from Charles City to Waterloo, and I started attending a small Christian school there. And that was me in seventh grade. It looks, I haven't changed a, a bit. Um, I want you to see this picture because it makes the story come alive, you guys. Uh, the mushroom hair, I think, is my favorite part of this. Um, so anyway, I had never played organized sports before in my life, um, which is weird to say now because now kids are in organized sports when they're three years old. But I had never played organized sports. I was going into seventh grade, and the only sports I had ever done were backyard sports with my brothers and uh, playing pickup basketball at the park and things like that. I'd never been part of a team. I'd never done organized sports. But I wanted to try. I wanted to try this thing, organized sports. And I was starting seventh grade at a new school, and so I went out for the soccer team. Now, I had also never really played soccer before, but I figured you're kicking a ball, how hard can it be? Um, but I discovered something very quickly. I am not good at soccer. I'm not good at soccer at all. And so every practice, inevitably what happens is the coach, and this happens in every sport, but the coach would say, all right, we're going to do drills. We're going to run a practice game. We're going to do whatever. And I'm going to have you in three groups. There's group A, group B, and group C. And I got to know the group C guys so good. Me and the group C guys were best friends. Um, this morning, like I said before, we're starting a new prayer series here at the bridge. And we're going to be walking our way over the next four weeks through the Lord's prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is going to guide our, our uh, sermons. It's what's going to kind of create the basis for what we talk about. And I hope that it's a time where we can really uh, dig in to what it means for us to pray, what it means to pray, what it means to go to God and pray. And so like Suzanne said, in October, we're going to be starting a series called All In and considering what God is calling us to as a church. And part of getting to that series is taking some time of discernment together and praying. And so every day uh, this month, I think it's this month, you're going to get a daily prayer prompt via email. If you get church emails, you're going to get a daily prayer prompt via email from the church. And it's going to be something that encourages you to pray, to pray for your family, for your neighborhood, for the church, whatever it is. And so we're really trying to enter in this time of discernment, this time of prayer, both individually and corporate. Uh, corporately together. So that's kind of our heart. That's kind of where we're moving. And we're excited for the series because we really believe that no matter where you are in your faith walk, whether uh, you're uh, a brand new Christian, whether you're skeptical about this whole thing at all, but you just show up uh, anyway, what, no matter what it is, we are hopeful that this will help you go deeper and it will help you hear God in your life. So we're excited. But I have to be honest with you, uh, when we first started talking about this series and when I first started kind of studying this series and when I started writing this particular sermon, my excitement was not really there. Uh, mostly I was a little bit freaked out. And here's the reason. I have always considered myself to be kind of a group C prayer. 
I'm a group C prayer. We've all prayed with group A prayers, right? It feels like they're looking at God's face when they talk. I mean, these people, you just feel like the spirit coming off their fingertips, right? Like, we all know the group A prayers. They go to prayer seminars. They read prayer books. They go on week-long prayer retreats. These, Pastor Suzanne is a group A prayer, you guys, okay? We all know. And so I have this sense, like, I probably shouldn't be talking about prayer because I'm a group C prayer. Now, look, objectively, I know there are no tears in prayer. There is no hierarchy of prayer. There are no prayers that are better or worse than others. God hears the most beautiful and profound prayers just as clearly as God hears the stumbling over our words prayers that are muttered under our breath. That's the truth about prayer. But deep down, I just never felt like I was very good at this whole prayer thing. Now, that might not be the worst thing that I could admit to the whole church gathered together, but it's probably close. Like, nobody really wants to hear this about their pastor, I imagine. There it is, my true confessions. Um, But that's just like the case. But I don't think that I'm probably alone in this. I think most of us here have probably never gone to a prayer seminar. Most of us here have probably never taken a class about prayer or gone on a week-long prayer retreat. It's awesome if you've done those things. Those are beautiful, wonderful things. I love that. But most of us here probably aren't that way. Most of us probably wonder sometimes, am I even doing this right at all? When I pray, is this really how it should go? Is this how it should feel? I don't get an emotional connection. I don't quite know if I'm doing this the right way. Sometimes prayer is a struggle. Our mind wanders or we get interrupted or we feel like we're not saying the right things. We overthink it and we start to pray the words we heard like the old men in our church growing up pray and that doesn't feel authentic at all. Thou art my Father God in heaven forever. I don't say that. That's weird. It's inauthentic. Sometimes our brain is all over the map that we think even God with his infinite knowledge can't quite keep up with the craziness that is coming out of our mouths. This is the way that we feel. And we wish we were better. We wish we didn't feel these ways. But if we're deep down honest, a lot of us in this room feel this way about prayer. It is so easy to believe that there are prayer tears and that some people are just better at prayer than others. It's so easy to believe that if you are in a lower tier you are missing something. And if you could just figure it out, if you could just crack the prayer code, your prayer life would burst open, the heavens would open up, and angels would descend and sing all around you. I think this happens to some people when they pray. It must, but it does not happen to me. Well, I actually think that this is some of what Jesus' disciples were thinking about when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. I think that they had heard Jesus pray. I think that they had seen the amazing things that Jesus had done. I think they understood the connection that Jesus had with the Father, and they thought, we want in on that. That is some group A, top-tier, premium prayer. The disciples wanted to know, Jesus, how do you pray? Because if we pray like you, then maybe we can get in on some of what's going on. And so they asked Jesus how to pray. And in Matthew 6, we find out what Jesus told them. So I'm going to read the preamble to the Lord's Prayer, and then I would hope that we could all maybe together say the Lord's Prayer uh, as we're reading. So this is Matthew 6, chapter 5. When you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So there is a well-known story of Vince Lombardi, the famed coach of the Green Bay Packers, calling a meeting of his players after they suffered an embarrassing loss. You have read about this story in leadership books or heard it on a leadership podcast. This will probably not be the first time you've heard the story. But Vince Lombardi gets his whole team together. They've just suffered an embarrassing loss. He sets them all down. He gathers them around. These are professional football players. These guys have won Super Bowls. They are the best of the best. He sits them all down, and he holds up a football, and he says, this is a football. This is a football. He wanted to go all the way back to the basics. He wanted to go all the way back and get them to strip away everything they thought they knew about football, strip away all the habits they formed about football, strip away all of the ideas they carried about what made a good football player and what made a good football play. They wanted, he wanted them to get rid of all of that and go right back to the basics. This is a football. In some ways, I think that the Lord's Prayer was Jesus saying to his disciples and also saying to us, today, this is a prayer. For now, stop worrying about being able to say prayers that impress. Stop worrying about being able to say uh, prayers that reach the throne room of God. Forget about week-long prayer retreats. Forget the habits of prayer that you've built up over the years. Forget the thing that you read in that one devotional that one time and you've been thinking about ever since then. Forget all of it. Strip it all away. Move away from those habits and all of that stuff. Take that away and pray like this. This is a prayer. And this prayer begins with our Father. So if you're like me, you barely thought about those words this morning as you recited the Lord's Prayer. If you're from a Catholic background, that's probably even what you call this prayer, the Our Father. But if you're like me, you don't even really think about what those words mean. Those are just preamble. Those are just precursor to the main event. Those are just like uh, the washing of our hands before we sit down to eat. It's just something you have to say, right? This is the prayer equivalent of to whom it may concern. That's what our Father is. That's how we often approach this. But in reality, those two words, our Father, place us in a position that allows us to pray at all. Those two words, our Father, puts us and positions us in a place that makes prayer able to happen. Our Father. When we say these two words, our Father, we are admitting something about ourselves, something about the world, and something about God that creates space for our requests to be heard. We are admitting when we say our Father that we do not have control. Little children know inherently that they have no control over their lives at all. If you have raised little children, this is why they always ask you to make them a sandwich. They cannot make a sandwich. They cannot control the world. 
The world is scary. The weather is scary. The, the stranger in the store is scary. They can't control the world around them. They are completely dependent on those who take care of them, their parents, their grandparents, their daycare providers, their teachers. They can't control the world around them. They are inherently unable to do that. So when a child asks for something, she's asking because there's no other way to get what she wants or needs. She can't reach that shelf. She can't make her own sandwich. She can't make it to the school bus on time without somebody getting her ready for the day and onto the bus in the morning. And you parents who put kids on the bus, you know this because every day you do it. They can't control the world around them. They can barely control themselves. They're in need of help. And that's why kids think that their parents are amazing. My boys think I am strong because I can open pickle jars. You are all looking at me and are aware that I am not strong. Like, but my, kid, my boys think I'm so strong. My boys think I'm smart because I can help them with their homework. I'm not that smart. I'm just smart enough to help with anything but new math I'm smart enough to help with, okay? They think I'm smart because I can do that. But as we grow and learn and develop, as we get older and become more independent, our feelings about ourselves and our parents and our world change. And as our sense of independence grows, so does our belief that we can control the world around us. As we get older and we come into adulthood, we begin to believe that if we exert enough energy and think far enough ahead and plan well enough or amass enough power or put enough hedges of protection around us, if we just do all of those things, that we can insulate ourselves from the trouble in the world, or we can force our will on situations that are uh, happening around us. We believe that we have control. We can exert control on these situations. But in prayer, we confront the truth about ourselves and the world around us. We are not in control. Like children, we are in need of a parent to navigate the world around us. Because no matter how smart we are or how strong we are or how well we plan, the reality is that our sense of control is an illusion. We might be able to control what time we wake up in the morning, but we cannot control that our drive to work will be safe. We might be able to control this much of our lives, but we get the sense that we can control a lot. But the reality is that that sense of control is just an illusion. Everything can be taken away at any given time. We don't have control. We're a natural disaster or a family tragedy or a layoff away from everything coming undone. And so when we come to God, we first admit our smallness in the face of the world and our dependence on our Heavenly Father, our Father. We come as little children, just as Jesus told us we should, aware of our need and our own inability to navigate the world alone, our Father. And in that admission of need, we step forward into a prayer that is not centered on us anymore, but it is centered on God and God's kingdom. So when my wife and I first got married, um, I was working at UPS preloading trucks in the morning. This was my college job. We got married while we were still in college. And uh, even though it was the summertime, I still had to load trucks in the morning. So I would wake up at about 3.30 and I would head out to work. I would load trucks 
And then I would come home right as she was leaving to go work as an apprentice at Meredith Corporation. She worked at Better Homes and Gardens. And so this was our summer, our first summer of marriage. I would come home right as she was leaving, and then I had the whole day to myself uh, while she worked. So I figured uh, I should be a good husband, and I thought, I'm going to have dinner ready every night when Kayla comes home. This is like, I'm going to, I'm such a good, oh my goodness, you guys, I'm such a great husband. I'm going to have this dinner ready every single night. And I thought I was killing it. I mean, I thought I was really like, this is it. I have arrived. What are all these people who are older saying marriage is hard? I got this. So figured out. Um, And then one night at dinner, some interesting information came out. Kayla did not like my food. She did not like it. And look, I don't blame her. I was not a good cook. I'm still not that good of a cook. And on top of that, I was cooking the type of food that I had grown up eating, which was not the same kind of food she had grown up eating. I was cooking what I was familiar with, recipes that I was familiar with. And looking back, they're not that good, like all respect to my mom's, but like I was not doing a good job. So I'm cooking these huge meals, and that was part of it too. I grew up with five siblings. We had a huge family. I only knew how to cook in big pots. So we were wasting so much food. I was cooking for two people like I was cooking for a football team. It was terrible. And she says, Johnny, why are you doing this? Like, what are you doing to our lives together? It was not good. And in the course of the conversation, I realized, even though I believed I was doing something nice for Kayla, I was really just doing what I wanted to do in the way that I wanted to do it. I was doing something that was centered more on me than it was on Kayla and our relationship. Instead of focusing on Kayla and her tastes, I was completely focused on myself and on my tastes. A lot of the time when we pray, that's our attitude. We come to prayer focused primarily on our needs, our tastes, our desires. But Jesus challenges us to change our focus when we begin to pray. Our Father brings our focus away from ourselves and on to God and our need for God's help. And the next section of this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, center us on God's desires for the world and for those around us. So our our focus is not primarily on ourselves. It becomes part, uh, primarily a focus on God and God's desires for the world and God's desires for those around us. And here's the thing. God's desires for the world involve and include us. God loves us desperately, and God's will for the world extends to us. When we pray, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are prayers that are personal. Those prayers impact and affect us, but our focus is not primarily ourselves. It's a profoundly personal prayer that God's love would pour out over our lives, but it is prayed in a way that God's love does not only pour out over our lives, but pours out on the lives of our neighbors and the lives of our friends and even the lives of our enemies. Jesus is inviting us to take a larger view than the myopic picture we often have of our lives. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying prayers that reach to the ends of the earth. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are praying that children who have been separated from their families would be reunited with their parents. That's inherent in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
We are praying that people in our city who don't have food in their refrigerator would be sustained through the weekend. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We are praying for peace to overpower violence and for broken relationships to be restored. And we are praying for the overlooked and the misunderstood and the unborn to be valued as image bearers of God. These are inherent prayers that we pray when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are dangerous and scary prayers. These prayers have the power to upend the world as we know it. These are prayers that invite us to see as God sees and love as God loves and engage with the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. We are praying prayers that will change our lives and prayers that will change the world. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the thing. When we pray those prayers, there is no group A group B, and group C. It doesn't matter if your prayers are silent or shouted or spoken in tongues or mumbled out in fits and starts. If your prayers are centered on God, God's will, and God's kingdom, you are standing squarely where God wants you to stand. You are praying some premier group A, top of the line prayers. When you stand in that place that says, I need God and the world needs God, you are praying a prayer that centers you where you are supposed to be. When you admit your need and cast yourself on the mercy of God, you will find yourself held in God's loving hands. And as we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are caught up in his will and we become vessels for his love and grace and mercy to be poured out on those around us. And so this morning, we're gonna get the opportunity to pray that type of prayer for someone else who is in this room. Those prayers that you wrote down and brought forward are about to come back. They're going to get passed out. You're going to reach in that bag and you're going to pull out a prayer for somebody. You don't know the somebody. How do you pray for somebody you don't know? How do you pray for a situation that you don't understand? How do you pray when you're absent relationship or absent context? Well, you pray, our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Over this situation, let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you take that card out of the bag, I pray that you would have that approach. And I want you to take the card home and I want you to pray for that person every day because behind that card is a person and they're going through something. Behind that card is a real request. It's a request from somebody's heart. And our job for the body is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we pray that, we are praying a top tier group A prayer for somebody here to have God pour himself out all over their lives. So as the band comes forward, look at them come forward. They're going to play. And as they play, the ushers are going to pass the bags back around. We're going to reverse offering this. So reach in the bag. Pull out a prayer. Don't be shy. These are the prayers of the people around you. These are the prayers, the heart prayers of the people who are sitting in this place with you. And they are asking for God's will to be poured out on their lives. So as the, as the song plays, as the band plays, I would invite the ushers to come back up and to pass out 
the offering bags. And I would encourage you, reach in the bag, take out a prayer, take that home this week and make this the prayer of your heart.